You're listening to Only in Seattle. Hello, and welcome to Only in Seattle, where we talk about what's going on in Seattle's real estate market. I'm your host, Sean Reynolds, owner and designated managing broker of Summit Properties Northwest. Well, let's get started. And today I have with me Mr. Nathan Morello. And Nathan, you are special because you are not only a Summit Properties Northwest licensed real estate broker, you are also a certified real estate appraiser with Reynolds and Klein Appraisal. Yes, sir. Yeah. So you for fit, a few years now. Yeah, for yeah. quite a few years now. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, how, how long have you been a certified appraiser? Uh, a little over a decade now. Okay. Yeah. And then how about licensed broker? Uh, probably about seven years. I'd have to go back and check exactly. But uh, yeah, Someone when, right in there. When we got to the belly of the beast when the last bubble burst, I figured I should yang when everybody else yanged and jumped right in there and see what we could do. Get in there and have some fun. Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. So one of the reasons I wanted to have you today is that you have kind of seen transactions from both sides mm-hmm. of being a real estate broker, representing the buyer, and then also being a certified appraiser and representing the bank, being in the eyes of the bank. Yeah, I'm constantly looking at markets and seeing contracts from both sides. I, I review hundreds, hundreds a year. And so it's fantastic to be able to get a perspective from both sides. Right. Because when you, you and I talk um, from my end, owning a real estate brokerage and an appraisal company, I get the same perspective from just a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But you are boots on the ground guy actually out doing it. And so I always appreciate hearing your kind of insights as to what's going on in the market. Excellent. Um, yeah. as Happy well. to be here. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to do a podcast and we're going to, we, I've got just a bunch of questions that are commonly asked questions regarding the appraisal process. Cause that's what people kind of want to know specifically is what the, the, the whole appraisal process seems like it's a little bit of a mystery. Yeah. Um, and so the first question we're going to ask, and this is, um, I'm going to have you go thumbs up if it positively impacts value, mm-hmm. thumbs down if this negatively impacts value and no impact have you just you know like this for no impact and i'm going to name off a bunch of things that are external factors things that you can't change your house might be next to these and we're just going to talk about them super quick sounds like fun all right yeah let's go kind of a fun thing to do sure okay the first thing is and and keep in mind that a number of these were brought up by our interns so they might (laughs) not be exactly appropriate but this is, this is what people want to know about. Okay. So the first one is Slaughterhouse. A slaughterhouse. Uh, I would say it's probably thumbs down. That's probably yeah. a thumbs down, pretty clearly. Aren't many Slaughterhouses left, but... No, I haven't run across that too That's many not times. a good yeah. one. Um, crack House. Crack House would definitely be a no. Definitely a no. Yep. How about a casino? Casino. Um, maybe not quite so clear-cut, but I, I still think that would probably be a no. On the, being adjacent to a casino that has a lot of different factors associated with it, especially like traffic and, you know, maybe not the most necessarily wholesome activities that you might get when you have a young family around in a house, running in the yard, stuff like that. You've got 24-hour so, yeah. entertainment, just and stuff going on all the lights time. Lights and noise. Maybe not the kind of stuff you want to have in a residential neighborhood. Probably not. Probably not. How about a church? Um, I'm going to go neutral on the church, I think. Um for the most part, fairly quiet, more rural setting typically for churches. I know they got them in, in big urban centers as well, but for at least my territory that I cover, they're usually pretty peaceful areas, and I don't think it really have much impact. Maybe get a little traffic on Sundays. Yep. Sundays um, is really the only time where there yeah. is 
you know, maybe you have a Bible study or something throughout the week, but, yeah, but otherwise, uh, those are empty parking lots and there's pretty, nothing going on. Pretty low impact. Pretty low for the impact. Most part. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. How about a cemetery? <laughs> uh, funny enough, I actually grew up in part of my life across the street from a military cemetery in Port okay. Townsend. Pretty uh, quiet, aren't they? Very quiet. Yeah, the neighbors yeah. are very quiet. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to go neutral. The residents are really quiet. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm going neutral on that. Yeah, one. neutral. Yeah. Um, some and people I, might be opposed to it. Yeah, um, I, I can, and I could completely understand that. Creeps but, people uh, well, out. Let's go. Typical buyer seller. Typical transaction. Typical yep. marketing time. Talking as an appraiser. Um, it's kind that. of something that's there, but doesn't necessarily have a major sway one way or the other. No, I'm not I know too, a lot of people are kind of creeped out by that. Yeah. Um, unless you have a loved one in there, and then it's easy access to go drop off flowers, whatever. That's true. Yeah, but not a lot but, of noise though. No. And they're usually pretty well kept. Yeah, they're professionally so, kept. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. How about a elementary school? <laughs> elementary school. Uh, I'm going to go neutral because I think that depends a little bit upon the buyers and what they're looking for. I can see where young families starting out might see that being if maybe not adjacent but close to an elementary school might have some benefits. Uh, but if you're older and finally got the kids out of the house or or maybe have no kids, really pretty hectic, chaotic, and loud for the majority of the A lot of noise, of the buses oh, going through, yeah. little kids, kids screaming, screaming and yelling. having fun, yeah, all that yeah. other good stuff that, you know, you want your kids to do, but when it's... Right. When it's your time, it's important, and maybe yeah. it's super important to have that access, and you can watch little Johnny walk from your house, you know, down to school. Yeah. yeah. But when you're older and you've paid your dues, that's just a lot of chaos, yeah, yeah. a lot of noise. Yep. How about a library? Uh, I would say that's neutral. It's pretty neutral. And, and, and if anything, maybe a lot of people would see there's a lot of benefit in being adjacent to a library from the it's access a, of other. It's the, a learning center. All the resources that you have. You're going to sure. go learn. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But, uh, you know. What's funny is libraries used to be so important, and now that we've got the Internet, now that we've got Google. Everybody's got a library in their hand. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. How about a zoo? A zoo. Uh, boy. I'm going to go neutral again on zoo, um, and I think that it's probably just uh, my experience in the zoos that I see be around the Seattle area. Um, I can see where being, you know, like in an urban center near a zoo might be pretty cool, and, and it wouldn't really impact your quality of life all that much either way. You have the resource adjacent to it. There might be some noise and additional traffic and stuff, especially on weekends, but overall, it be pretty cool to look out your back deck and see a giraffe walking around or something there's the zoo there's the zoo yep. absolutely how about how about just a regular park uh that's that's either that's either neutral or positive i would think right yeah yeah I mean, a lot of times i view those as kind of open areas yep um unless you've got people going into a park for known reasons that are not positive negative reasons yeah which and there's a problem in some areas in some that. areas some yeah. parks are just kind of known for that yeah um, how about freeway? Freeway is a no. That's a big no. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, I think that might even be underestimated at times by sellers and brokers both. Uh, something I've been yep. seeing quite a bit. You know, with your boots on the ground reference when I'm out looking at homes and getting comps and stuff, you see that, um, you know, external negative impacts outside of the control of the house like you know being next to a freeway with the road noise or even a busy road it oftentimes is underestimated how it's negative, underestimated yeah yeah how negative that impact can right. be and you see it reflected on the difference between the list price and the, and the closing and the sales price. price yeah absolutely they'll, they'll oftentimes a broker and seller will 
will figure out, okay, we're going to price our home like the other homes in the area that aren't on the busy street or the busy, you know, freeway. Right. They'll price it here, and what it ends up selling for is the discount, and that's the difference for being on the freeway. And, in you know, maybe to their defense a little bit, typical brokers that don't have the appraisal background as well, it's a little bit more difficult to extract that impact. It's tricky. Yeah. yeah it's, it, and it, it kind of comes down to, unless you have some really good data to extract from the marketplace, what those sales are, what that supports, you don't really know what the dollar amount is for the negative impact of a busy stro- busy street or any of these other kind of funny things. Well, yeah, yeah. An- another one we had in there was whorehouse. I'm not really sure who brought that up, but <laughs> wildly inappropriate. But that you know, those are those are external things that are out there, and we're kind of kind of making fun, but also giving an example of things that are out there that impact real estate. And these are all things that come up. Um, what, what about the changing? I'll throw one to you. What about the changing times that we have now and having a residential house that's next to a marijuana dispensary? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because now, for speaking of vice, that's something that's actually cropped up recently. Right. That's newer in our real estate world where people yeah. may end up having these you know, dispensaries pop up next to their residential houses. What's interesting is that even though they're legal on the Washington state level, they are still illegal. a class one narcotic by the federal government. So do you want to next, live next to a business that might be raided by the feds at any given point in time? And if that pops up next to you when you've already been living in that house for a while, what do you do? Yeah. Right? Nothing. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, legal. Nothing you can do, yeah, but, it, but do. it does impact the value of your house. Right. Yeah. Hugs, not drugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Let's move on. Yes, sir. So um, one of the main topics that always comes up is... The appraisal is not an inspection. So uh, a lot of times people hear that you're an appraiser and they'll want to talk to you specifically about something about their house, thinking that you're an inspector. So yeah. maybe give me just a little quick rundown on the differences between an appraisal and an inspection. And every appraiser makes that much more confusing because they call to set up their inspection of the property. Right. And then it's not an inspection. It's not an inspection. But it's an appraisal inspection. Yeah. But it's not a building inspection. So let's try uh, our best to help clarify that. So an appraisal inspection, from what I see, is that I will walk through the house and take a cursory inspection of all the easily visible areas within the property. Right. So if I walk into your kitchen and I'm looking around, I'm checking to see, well, what kind of countertops do you have? You know, what condition are the cabinets in? What kind of flooring do you have? And are you opening up cabinets to make sure that doors are aligned correctly? Are you going to that extent? You're just making sure they're there. No, no, no. Yeah. But so now if you were to get a home inspection, different than the appraisal inspection, a home inspection when you're purchasing a house, which everybody should do, uh, that home inspector will be coming through and doing a very detailed, thorough, does every appliance work, opening up all the cabinets, checking to make sure the garbage disposal works, so is the, the GFI outlets wired correctly so that any of the ground fault interrupts happen on the appliances that they're tripped. There, there's a whole different structural construction level 
in detail of the home inspection. That the home inspector is going to do. And they're going to do yeah. this massive checklist. Oh, they go all over yeah. the roof. They go in the crawl space. They go in the attic. They're going right. to go tooth and nail. And as appraisers, we take cursory look. We take head and shoulders yeah, look sure. at the attic, head and shoulders look as best we can at the crawl space. But we're not going to go through the crawl space. We're not going to go through the attic. That's outside of the scope of the appraisal inspection. Not only that, but we as appraisers are not experts in that field. Right. It's it's beyond our, yeah. our So if we do expertise. find something, what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> disclose we, it. We disclose it, and if the lender wants to have somebody else take a look at it, they do. Yeah, and I and I oftentimes in my reports I'll disclose it and then say right after that that if the reader has any concerns, they need to talk to a professional home inspector and or professional licensed contractor. Right. Right. Okay, so I think we clarified that up. Sure. Um Let's go and and on that topic. What are the so so as an appraiser, you go out there. You're the eyes of the lender, and if you see something that impacts value, maybe a kitchen that isn't done, or a bathroom that isn't done, or some siding that's missing, yeah, you will call for that on the appraisal, and that's known as a work order. And that appraisal is not valid. It's not good until that condition has been met. So the value yeah. isn't isn't finalized until that condition is met. What are the most common things you are calling for on work orders right now? Yeah, we're talking about the difference between the appraisal being as is and the appraisal being subject to, right? Right. So, as um, is, everything in the home is fine. Yeah. Nothing impacts value. It's the value as to. of this day, as is it stands right now. When subject to, and a lot, let me get to your question, a lot of things that I see are, are what you mentioned. You know, um, people get in the middle of a complete kitchen remodel and they've blown it up and they're starting to put things back together again and they're looking for a refi to get the additional funds to finish that kitchen remodel and you walk in there and there's no functional kitchen well at that point the appraisal report has to is that kind of a little bit of a red flag when you go in as an appraiser oh well it's it's like a brick in the face kind of what's red the first flag. thing that you think of Son of a gun. That's this first is going to be yeah. a problem. This well, is going to be an issue. And, and the major reason for me personally why I feel that way is because I'm I'm thinking what the homeowner's going to have to go through yep. at that point. And, and what, what you're going to have to yeah. go through because you've got to disclose it. You're going to have to take pictures yeah. of the unfinished Figure out where kitchen. they're at, what they got to do, how yep. long it's going to take. And why is it such a big deal to not have a functional kitchen or a functional bathroom? Uh, Say you've got another bathroom down the hall. Right. Okay. Well, I think that for me, uh, when I'm, and I'll, I'll bounce this back a tiny bit to doing an as-is appraisal. So what I think that lenders are looking for is they want the property that they are going to be guaranteeing with a loan to be in a marketable condition. Yep. In what a typical buyer, one, typical seller, yeah, yep. what's marketable? Marketable. Yeah. What's normal for your neighborhood? Absolutely. And that's probably to have two and a half bathrooms and a functional kitchen. It's probably to have a kitchen, have a and, kitchen. A, and a bathroom. Yeah, yeah those things. And if it's they good are, to be able to cook and use your bathroom facility. Yeah, and if not, then we need to make it subject to those improvements or issues within the house being complete prior to that value kicking in and working. And how do you do that on the appraisal? What does that look like? Uh, well, we describe quite thoroughly, at least to the best of what our cursory inspection is, what needs to be completed. Yep. And that would be down about three-quarters of the way down on the first page of the appraisal. Yeah, and then in the comment addendum in the back half of the appraisal where we, we put all of our 
um, language in the report, it, there's a further description as to what exactly needs to be done. And it almost acts as a little bit of a laundry list for that homeowner of what needs to be done. What needs to be done. Yeah. And then you've got boxes that you check either as, as is. is or subject to. And, yep. that's, and from what I've heard from lenders is that's one of the first things they look at at, a, at an appraisal report, even before the value. Yeah. They'll flip right down to is the bottom of the page is? and goes, this as is. Yeah, they is, literally it open it up. Oh, it's as is. Okay, okay, there's then, the value. There's all value. right, next. And then, the, yep, and then, then they can start going through all of the other little bits and pieces of details that are part, right but they make sure that it's a property that they're comfortable lending on yeah absolutely um okay so let's switch gears here a little bit sure the difference between a cma and an appraisal cma being competitive market analysis which uh brokers do all day long for Mm -hmm. their clients hey seller has a home they want to sell and the seller tells the real estate broker i need a cma to kind of see where i'm at can you bring me one I think in the description of your question, you may have hit on something I, I didn't really realize previously, but it's for their clients, right? It's it's done with a purpose behind it. And, it. and it isn't as thorough as an appraisal, and everybody in the real estate industry will just give you that one hands down, right? right. What, what an appraiser has to do, based off of the laws that we work within, is significantly more detailed and in-depth, and we have rules that we have to follow in order to create our opinion of value in an right. appraisal. And right. how much does a broker charge for a CMA? <laughs> a listing. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's kind of the rub. Up. Yeah, that's nothing, right? They're doing yeah. it, and it's, and it's a – and they'll all say it's an unbiased opinion, but even when I've done them previously, it's to try to help get the listing. Let's be real. Right. Yeah. Nobody does anything yeah. for free. It, I'm not doing this podcast just to educate everybody as well. I want to also get no. my name out to try to get yeah, you help want people exposure. with exposure. Yeah, yeah. Help get so listings. you do as a broker, so, you do a CMA in the hopes of getting a listing. Yeah, and and you have a little bit um, longer rope as far as picking your comps, etc. You know, right. so so that it, it's it's not as unbiased in scientific as an appraisal no. now as, as an appraiser i'm paid to be unbiased i have to have no skin in the game whatsoever this is factual yep. this is exactly what we're seeing in the market this is exactly what i've extracted from the market and if you don't like the the opinion value at the end i'm paid to not care yeah. and i hate to say that but that's right. that's the reality of the industry that we work in now right yeah. we have, you are a disinterested third party absolutely. you're getting paid for your professional opinion and that's yep. another one of my questions on here what is an appraisal? And it's basically your opinion. It's an opinion. As a professional. So it's not yeah. like the uh, appraisal values come from this vault that, you know, Nathan as a certified appraiser accesses. Yeah. Oh, let, me, let me just, uh, let me get the value from yeah. your home here. Yeah. And right. it doesn't happen. It's you have to work it up. Yep. And a lot of it's based on your opinion of which the best comps are. What kind of adjustments you make between the subject and the comps? Well, what what the market says the adjustments are right. for those comps, right. right? And that changes market to market. I, I do a lot of stuff in Stonebridge County and North King, where yeah, you those know, are the markets you work. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, Snohomish County, which is kind of uh, more rural, more well, well land farms. It's an interesting mix because you you still have you know some I don't want to call them like necessarily major urban centers, but Everett. Yeah, you know, big city. Big city, yeah. you know, for Snohomish County at, right. at any rate, um, with a lot of mixed-use properties, you know, splattered around within the city limits. And then I, everything from there out to Gold Bar, 
or it, it might be very rural right. and you know riverfront property. So it, it's it's a it's a great diversity of stuff that I get to see every day, which is pretty cool. Right, right. And one of the other questions um, is appraising in rural versus an urban environment. What are the big differences you see? Because you're doing that every day. Oh, it's fruit salad. That's that's the major. Because when you're when you're more closer to the employment centers. You can compare apples to apples to apples. They might be Granny Smiths and Envy apples or whatever, but when you go out rural, you have pineapples and bananas and grapefruit all it gets thrown tough. in there. And it yeah. And it's the whole well, there's no sales, there's no comps. Well right. yes, there is. There right. there always is something. There might not be ideal comps or right. ideal sales. But, but you've got to use something to support your value. If a buyer is in the market and buying things, you have data points because they are providing you what the, what their reaction to the price points are and the inventory and what they're willing to pay for different homes in that area. And if you have to compare apples to oranges to bananas to grapes, well, everybody has a data point there and you can try to figure out a way to extract what the adjustments are to equate them to the subject. You're going to have to dig deep with your professional expertise to figure out, all right, I've got these comps. They are wildly dissimilar. Yep. What do I do with them? Yeah. And that's another really good question that I hear all the time is, what do I do? I'm a real estate broker. I'm trying to come up with value. There are no comps. (laughs) What's your first thought? And I see you giggle. Well, because it's it's, a, it's what we just talked about, yeah, right. And, and, it, and it may also be that you have to, you know, put your professor hat and be a history professor and dig back in time a Go ways. back in time, yeah, to yep. see if what other things may have sold right. that were much more similar, even if it's a year or two ago. Maybe go out a little further. Go out further, yeah, absolutely. But you, you can put, you know, market time adjustments uncomparable so that you can so say something sold for x amount of dollars a year ago and the market has changed 10 percent well then you can adjust 10 percent from what it was a year ago or you go out further away and go from market a to market b and even though they may not be as similar and location is everything in real estate well if they're similar homes then you'd be able to make an adjustment for that location as well you, you can figure out come a way. up with a data point absolutely yeah, yeah. The, my favorite one is is there are no comps and then i'll have a broker come to me and say hey i need some help with this there are no comps and i'll say what about this one this one and this one and they'll say well those are really low <laughs> yep and i'm like but those are your best comps They support your value. But we don't like those ones because the seller wants this and those comps are down here. We're just not going to look at those. And that's a classic difference between an agent and an appraiser. As an agent, you make the news. And as an appraiser, you report the news. Report it. Yeah, That's it. Here's your three sales. They're really low. Sorry. Yeah. And and, And agents have to be a little bit of a real estate speculator. And homeowners and home buyers also like to be speculators. Um, but the reality is, as an appraiser, I can't speculate. doesn't matter to me what might happen in the future. This is what has happened. This is what I can support. This is what it is. Right. It might be different in six months. In fact, it probably will be. Yeah. And that's why the appraisal is only good as of the effective date of the appraisal. Yeah. And that's right on there with the value and the as-is versus the... Um, subject to, yeah, absolutely. but it's right there kind of in one section on page two of the appraisal. Yep. Um, here's another question that comes up all the time. Great. You go into a single family home and you realize 
Oh, there are three living units here. You've got the main unit, the main home. You've got a converted garage. And you've got a converted basement into a third unit. Yeah. And all you've got for zoning is a legal single family. Yeah. What do you do? Because we're see- in the Seattle market, we're seeing this pop up all the time because rent has gotten so yeah. expensive that you oh, can yeah. literally yeah. rent out a horse barn. You, you slap a, you, you plug in a range and then you add a man door and all of a sudden you got a rental out of your basement. You got a rental unit. Yeah. And we're seeing that consistently. You turn and run away. That's my professional advice on that one. Beeline straight for your truck and yeah. drive out of there. Call um, the lender on your way you, out. Yeah, say... Rear wheels are spinning. spinning. Turn yeah, my goodness. That, uh, hey, not taking this one. <clears throat> no. Nah. So tell us why that why those are so difficult. Uh, it's an illegal use most often, right? And yeah. so that creates all kinds of highs and best issues, right? Is it? <clears throat> pardon me. If it's not zoned for multifamily income producing property and it's being used as such, right? You automatically have all kinds of conflicts with what's going on. It's not just with creating value, but um, zoning violations, potentially illegal use, yep. etc. Um, that other, home is probably zoned for single family. It, sh- it almost always almost is, always is, right? And so, yep. then, and the question you ask is: Are these legal? Have these been permitted? And what is ninety nine percent of the time the answer? Well, it's always been like that, and we're renting it, so it must be fine. <laughs> it's got to be legal. It's like no. Yeah, we haven't been arrested, so it's okay. Yeah, no. And it's not until the appraisal process comes along, and the appraiser is like, "This isn't legal." Yeah, and, and it really, the, I think, in all honesty, the first thing that I would typically do is I go right back to the lender and ask how they want me to proceed with this because it right. probably is most likely to be sold and marketable, and that's what we're looking at, right? As a single family. You have to check to see if an ADU or an accessory dwelling unit is legal. You might be able to stretch it to a single family with an ADU. Um, but as far as if you have three units being rented in there, it's illegal for it to be a triplex. Then you, you can't compare it to other triplexes or quads. Because it's not legal. And that's one of the main components of value is that it has to be legal. legal. Yeah, It's and in the highest not, and best use yeah. determination, right? Is it yeah. economically feasible? Is it legal? All that other good stuff, absolutely. And if it's not, then... It kind of blows up the whole process. It does. How about converting your garage? Good idea, bad idea. How often do we come across that? Yeah, a fair amount. Yeah. You know, and um, I think that's a personal use determination for every homeowner. And maybe the family expanded and you, you need the space for family instead of cars. Um, and what I have typically encountered is that that's the situation. You know, somebody has additional need for family space or a bigger home. It's too expensive in this market, right, to buy or upsell necessarily. Um, so they just do the, you know, put the drywall up and throw carpets down, and now you have a living space in the garage. So Should they permit it? Yes. I'm going to say that no matter what you do, Permit it. Permit it. Make it legal. Yeah. The the if we're not going to be doing something like that as is, we can do it subject to. Or it, oftentimes, what lenders request from me, anyways, is that we do it as is with a cost to cure, which is a whole new thing we haven't talked about. But basically, that means that if all the other houses in the neighborhood have a garage, you've converted your garage. Now this is atypical for the market area, but you've got something weird. You got something weird, right? Atypical, yeah. right? So. But converting a garage that was once a garage and now it's a bedroom and then back to a garage is usually very inexpensive, right? Yep. 
Um, so what they do is they say the value is X, say it's $400,000, but the estimated cost to convert that garage back is, say, 5000 So we just do the 400000 minus the 5000 Your value is three ninety five. Easy. So it's the cost to bring it back to normal. Back to normal. What is that amount? The lender makes an analysis. Okay, it would cost yep. five grand to rip all that stuff out that made it into bedrooms, put it back to the garage. Put the garage door. All so right, we're okay with that. We're going to lend on it. And that gets back to marketable property as of the time of inspection, right? The bank wants to know what it's going to take to right. make it marketable. And marketable would be in that situation that it should f- be homogeneous with the neighborhood and have And that rush. is so important because if the lender has to take it back after day one, yeah. buyer defaults on it, lender Heaven takes forbid, it back, right? yep. they want to know that they can sell it. And homes that are all done, they're completely marketable, those sell faster than ones that need a kitchen, a bathroom, or have weird things. Yeah, weird things. Yeah. Weird things always seem to be misrepresented. They in, made that. Yeah. yeah. Anything unusual in the real estate process is typically a hiccup. Yep. It's going to take longer to sell. It's going to be discounted. Sell for less. Sell for less. Tougher to appraise. There's fewer buyers. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All that good stuff. All right. How often, switching gears here, how often in the appraisal process do you use Zillow? Oh, Zillow, the the real estate um, valuation website. Zillow. Yes. Yeah. Never. 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 Not once. No. Not. No. Not once. How often do you put it in a report? Zillow. Yeah. In a report. Never. 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 Not even. Once. Why is that? Because all homeowners go. Well, Zillow says my house is house is worth this. Yeah. And why does Zillow put all those home estimates out there? I wonder. To get eyeballs to on get, their yeah, to get additional site. traffic on their site. Traffic what do you do with site. additional traffic on your traffic site? Traffic on your site. You can sell advertising space on your to site. To real estate to brokers. Brokers like you and me, and then you yeah. get an income stream from it. It doesn't really matter what the value is. You just got to put a number out. So in the appraisal process. It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing, and we don't yeah. take it into consideration at all. Yeah, they use mass appraisal software. Which is kind of a misnomer because it's not an appraisal. But what they do is they're just trying to pull all kinds of data points, and they may be old and they may be incorrect. It doesn't matter to Zillow, from my understanding, is they just want to put a number for your Zestimate, which is a fantastic made-up word. Um, It's a fake word. So that you can— But it sounds good. Type in your address, yep. get your Zestimate, and if you look on the right-hand side of the screen, there's going to be four agents that want to sell your house, yep. and they all paid to be there. And the guy with the most reviews, he's going to get the most phone calls. Yep. That's just how it goes. Yep. And, and, and we're not really picking on Zillow. We're talking about any of the automated valuation models that are out there. Yep. Um, there's a ton of other ones that yeah. are... Yeah, are, piggybacking on the exact same model. Yeah, they that do Zillow the exact is. same yeah. thing. And it's, um, and it's, it's more just that Zillow, everybody kind of knows Zillow. Yeah, and it's really more of an advertising site than a right. value. So homeowners, site. how much emphasis should they put upon uh, their estimate? They should call me and make an appointment, and we'll talk about it. And then you can actually give them some real data. Absolutely. And Because you've probably seen the inside of their home. Yeah. You know, around it, yeah, measure you're not it, extrapolating look at it, kind of data going. from the and, and when people see uh, they get a notice that their estimate has gone up, you know, two percent in the last six months. Exciting. Now it's time to sell. Yeah. And what do you think of that as a real estate broker and a real estate uh, appraiser? I don't think anything of it. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. Right. 
It's just trying to capture views on their webpage. Right. It's creating motion. Content. Doing something. Something. Doing something. Yeah. And people get really worked up. Well, Zillow says that I've gone up 5%. Mm-hmm. You know, should I sell? It's like, well, what's your real value look like? Have you had a CMA done? Have you had an appraisal done? Yeah. No, but Zillow says. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Banks and attorneys don't use Zillow. That's a really good point. I think I did. we did a video where I showed all the listed uses of an appraisal and then all the uses of Zillow. Zillow didn't have any other than being a starting point for homeowners to look at. Just to get a rough idea. To get a rough idea. Sure. Of, uh, of what's out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Basement square footage versus above grade square footage. Wow. This is a huge one. Yeah. Because a lot of people say, well, my split entry has a finished basement. That's included in the square footage, right? Oh, or how about the, the newer split entries that are all above grade? What the yeah. heck do you do with that bad boy? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So hopefully compare it to other bad boy split entries that are yeah, the similar same configuration. Yeah, that doesn't happen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what uh, what the rule that we follow as appraisers would be is that if any portion at all of the lower level is below grade, which and is below grade is meaning the, the level of the dirt outside level, the wall. Level of the dirt. Yeah, level of the dirt outside the grade. Yeah. Uh, if any portion is below. So if you're this much below, uh, if that's you're, basement. If you're, if you're this much, this below, much below, it's basement. basement. Yeah. yeah. And if you uh, and if it's even if it's light and bright and feels like a main floor, basement. And and why is that? Like, what's the underlying basis for that? There's always kind of a stigma against basements. Well, and I, I think that's probably it. It's the market reaction to what the below-grade living levels are and how they live versus anything that's above-grade. And, and they and live they are, less, don't they? And they're accounted for less, less on, the, on the appraisal. They're, they're adjusted differently, and that's yeah. because that's what the market tells us, not because that's what that's you really and I have point. made up, yeah. right? Because we That's how Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac – Require it to be broken down. Yeah, and like as appraisers, right? That's typically what the market tells us that that, that space yep. below grade is just less desirable yep. than space that's above. How grade. about well, I've got a daylight walkout basement. It's really bright down there. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and as when I put my real estate agent hat on, I would agree. It's yep. fantastic, great marketing points. Yep. And as made, a fellow homeowner, yeah, owner of multiple super. split entries over the years, yeah. Super. It's a great area down there, isn't it? Yeah, it could be very fun down there. Yeah, yeah game room, yeah. all that good stuff, right? Yeah, it's, a it's, 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 it's a basement. It's a basement. It's a basement. It's a grade. Yeah. <laughs> and people are always so shocked when they're like, you didn't include the room count of my basement in above grade. Well, that's because it's uh, not above that's grade. A great, that's a great point because when they bought the house, their real estate agent called it a four-bedroom when one of the bedrooms is below grade. So does it still have four bedrooms? Yeah, yeah, it does. It's just that one of them is below grade and it is counted for differently. Differently. Yeah. Yeah. And so we break out the above grade area differently than the basement. And that's all the that, rooms and size. Both. And that's all that yeah. the appraisal really, really does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how about as an appraiser, you don't care what somebody paid for their home. And you don't really care what they paid for all the improvements in their home. Boy, yeah, it's and it's to go a step further. It's always a very uh, difficult conversation to talk about somebody's hundred thousand dollars worth of landscaping that they did too. I just put because. a quarter million dollars into my sport court, my greenhouse, 
And water features are huge. Yeah. Water features. Yeah. yeah. You can burn money here. like no tomorrow there. Don't care. Don't care. And why is that? Well, let's let's start with what they paid for the house, right? Because I, as an appraiser, am only concerned about as of the date of my appraisal, the date that so I'm So if they there. bought a house 10 years ago? Yeah, and they're saying how great it was then and how they got a good deal and, and how much is appreciated and how much it must be worth now. I I listen yep. and nod my it's head. A, it's Say, a historic you. fact. What the sales price is is a Fant- historic fact. Fantastic. But it has zero, zero impact on where it is today. Yeah. And the say you put fifty thousand dollars in your kitchen, you may or may not get fifty thousand dollars out of that kitchen, and in right. most generally, you won't, right? Um, and that's just because we have to, as appraisers, again, uh, extract what the market feels the updated kitchen is worth, and that's done by finding comparable sales, right? Where you can find a comparable sale that still has more or less what your builder grade kitchen was. And then you find a comparable sale that's similar size and condition with an upgraded kitchen, and you can extract what the difference in those sales prices yep. is. And that's called and match pair analysis. Match it's, and, it's, and that's how we derive all of our adjustments. That's how we pull the data out of the yeah. market. Right? Take one with the feature and one without and the, feature the feature and the difference. And by one, we mean comparable sales. Yep. And say one sold for $20,000 more because it has a really nice updated kitchen. Okay, there, there you go. The market right. has just told you. they might have spent seventy five grand yep. getting that kitchen yeah. into that condition. It's probably good as a homeowner to contact somebody like yourself or myself thinking about moving forward with this and see what it's actually worth. Right. Yep, that's true. Okay. Um, I've heard people talk about um, creating like a little cheat sheet for you. If, if you've got an appraiser coming out, mm-hmm. people creating a little list of things that they have done to the home. Yeah, it's fantastic. That, no, yep. that, that's now we're getting into something that's actually you know actually very beneficial when you beneficial. have a, yeah when you have an appraiser yeah. coming through. Don't necessarily need to give us the entire full blown history of every little thing that you've ever done, right? But if you do have a bullet point list, broad strokes, broad strokes. Hey, we did the kitchen in 2015, and hey, kitchen and bathrooms are really important because yeah, our form asks for it. Well, not only that, but that's where the market typically shows that it has the most interest and the most bang for your buck on those, right? right? So if if you say that you updated your living room, you probably won't get anything out of that. But if you upgraded your kitchen, you know, historically you get 70 to 80% back out of that. Right. And that's not something that we factor in when we're pulling that data out of the market. But we really would, as appraisers, need to know, you know, what you've done recently because we want to give you credit for that. We kitchen, want the appraisal kitchen, to bathroom, be, and if you've added square footage to the house too, yeah, that's one that's always a good one. Is that with or without a permit? A, <laughs> yeah. B. How big is it? Yeah. From our end of things, yeah. you always want to have a permit because if it's not permitted, it's not legal, yeah. and we can't use it for value. Yeah, I can't give credit for it. It actually it. becomes a, a huge negative. And I think that that bullet point list is probably also incredibly helpful for real estate agents as well, getting as much detail as you can as to what the features and amenities of the house are for marketability. Absolutely. Yep. Those are features that are going to be broken out on additional feature sheets. Those are going to be – that's what what kind of creates the value and kind of determines um, where that value is going to be. Absolutely. And so um, what are – we'll wrap up here pretty quick. Because sure. we're over half an hour. God, we're getting close to 40 minutes. That goes by super quick, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm it? home by really fast. Yeah. It's just, boom, gone. There's yeah. so many interesting things <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in the world of an appraiser. 
Um, uh, yeah, there can be. <laughs> what there can be, and a yeah. lot of what we do is grind it out. Yeah, just out there driving around, looking at comps. Let's talk just a little bit about the process. So when you go out, you will measure the home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, uh, my process is that we get the order right, starting right at the very beginning, and I will do my research through county records. And to see if there was a previous listing, to see what county record says the the property Gathering is. information. Just, yeah, just all the data collection, right? Which is a good stepping stone. Although the next step is probably much more important where you actually go out and see the property because the data that you get online is often incorrect, right? right. So we go out, we measure it ourselves, and we actually yeah. do the bathroom count. That's the data that the Zestimate is relying upon. Yeah. And that's why it's not accurate a lot of the time. Right. I mean, it, people would be surprised at how often the county records have the wrong square footage or the wrong bathroom count. Yeah. I did one a couple of days ago where it had the wrong bedroom count. county didn't even know how many bedrooms a house in, in Everett had. And they may not have been inside in many, many, many years, oh, yeah. or, decades. Or never, right? Or never. Who, I don't know. Yeah. Right? Who knows? Did Zillow's you? never been inside anybody's house. Right. I'm sure of that. Um, but so from collecting the data and really truly getting a good handle and good understanding of what the actual subject property is, from there you can go in out to the marketplace and research what your best comparable sales are. And we have our criteria that that's based off of and our experience in the markets and just experience in doing appraisals. And from there, we go out and we actually drive by and look at every single comparable sale as well. Yep. You physically drive by it. So you've physically been into the subject property, gone through it, taken photos of all the rooms. Oh, yeah. Measured it. Yep. Wrote down all your notes. All the notes. Yep. And then you leave and then you go look at the comparable sales and you drive by and you physically take a photo. Yeah, because again, you know, real estate agents... When they're putting that stuff in MLS, they may get it wrong, or they may be, you know, embellishing a little bit to try to help sell the property. That's their job, right? Yep. And if you go and drive by and look at it and go, as well, you would it, know, because yeah. you are also a licensed broker. <clears throat> yes, sir, yes. I am. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and they say new roof, and you go and look at it. Well, it was a new roof 15 years ago. Well, that impacts the condition, and when buyers went and saw it, that impacts their their purchase price on that property because right. they may negotiate based off of the condition of the house versus what it really is versus what it said on that one. So you're sitting in your car looking at the listing, and then you look up at the home, and you you are kind of determining, yeah. all right, does this match up with right. what I've got going on here? And you can take and the other thing that oftentimes is probably the biggest impact that you see when you're looking at comparables is that on the MLS listing and on county records, everything looks fantastic, right? And it's great. And this can get us back to the beginning of our conversation. It's right next to 405. Mm. And that was not mentioned anywhere because that was a, that was a big no, right? Down, yeah, down, yeah. down value. And you um, wouldn't know that unless you looked at the plat map yeah, or it's written up on the listing. And right next to 405 is typically not a, a freeway, is yeah. not a selling point. Yeah. Yeah, high power, overhead power lines, right? You yeah. Know, all that stuff. Difficult. Maybe, maybe it's next to that slaughterhouse we talked yeah. about. Yeah, right. But that those those facts are not often put in the marketing remarks for the because they're not listed. positive they don't help sell the property yeah, so what's the rest of it? so you've taken a picture yeah of so the comps? you collected so you've collected all the data that you need on the subject you've collected all the data that's required on the comparable sales and then you bring it back to the office and then we start filling in all the factual data in our reports a to Z on everything from the subject to the comparables, the size, the the sales history, were there sales concessions on any of the comparable sales, what's the quality, what's the condition. And from all this different data, you can iterate what each of the different subject 
amenities market value is and extract that to make adjustments. And you grid it. You actually grid it. It's kind of like an Excel sheet. It's a lot like an Excel sheet. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much like that. And then from there, you get a range of values that are adjusted values at the bottom of this Excel spreadsheet grid, right? And then after you've gotten the numbers of what all the adjusted values are, you need to determine which of those are most similar to the subject and which of those adjusted values you put the most weight on for your opinion of value. Yep, and then you do your, your final reconciliation. You put it all together. And that's where you weight which comps are the best. Because yeah. people often hit me up, well, this comp adjusted out to this really high price over here. And I'm like, yeah, but this re- this one is the most similar and it's lower. Yeah. And the reason you want to use this one is because it's higher, higher and this one lower because that's what you want. Yeah. And Not that, necessarily reality. Yeah. And, but that's what you want. Yeah. And that's, yep. and that's putting together a number based off of a want or need that's not unbiased right we have to look at factually which of these comparables is the most like and that will get the most weight do we still take into consideration that high one sure sure something must have gone on and we typically dig that out yeah you got the low end and depending where your subject is you're going to be somewhere usually in the middle somewhere somewhere in the range middle of the range unless there's something really weird about the home yeah or something like that which i'm putting together one right now that's going to be a bugger and it's and we're going to talk about that after oh, yeah. the podcast. We, we got to go right? through that one. Yeah, that's yeah, going to be a good. That's one. a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, and you you've got let's let's wrap up here and you've got a listing. Yeah. Let's promote that listing a little bit. So, you've got a big listing out in Woodenville on Acreage and it's a monster home. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that the property. What's that listed for? Yeah, uh, just just a little under 2.7 million. And, and not okay. only is it a monster home in its size, and we'll put a link link of oh, that yeah. property in the description. So, if you yeah. guys can remember to put that in the description. Yeah, so it's it's a monster in size. It's a monster in lot it's size. Like 7, it's like seven thousand square feet on secluded ten acres. Ten acres. Well, and it's got a huge like twenty nine hundred square foot detached shop with heated floors. But it's it's a monster in the quality and the condition as well. It's a custom built Gregerson home, uh, who was one of the a noted noted premier Pacific Northwest. Yeah, the, the guy's builder. amazing. And actually, the uh, the entire home was built on a handshake between the current owner and Gregerson. So there, it was all gentleman's agreement. Everything was top of the line, everything. In fact, when uh, Gregerson was finishing up that home, Gregerson's dad came in through the home and told him that it was the best house he'd ever built. And, and even to this day, it, it can still be seen as a featured home on Gregerson's website. It's, mm. just, so it's got some real history. It's just yeah. that good of a house. It's yeah. crazy. And I've been there, and it's a sweet home. Yeah. And uh, also, we've got videos. We've got a couple of a couple of yeah. YouTube videos on that property yeah. that are really cool. Because uh, one of the really neat things is you take a drone, fly it over the home, and then you've got basically unobstructed views of the Snoqualmie River Valley. Yeah. And, and, and another great feature of that is that since you have uh, this great serene view of that valley, it's one of the only areas in the state where uh, people are allowed to practice their stunt flying for single prop planes. Oh, so you can sit on the okay. back deck in the sun yeah. with the built-in grill, right. and you got your own private air show. It's it's a fantastic, just kind of going on in the distance scene. there. Yeah, see those things. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. None of them have crashed yet that I'm aware of. So okay. you don't have to see, <laughs> yeah. you don't have to see the carnage. That's you can good. just enjoy it. That's yeah. good. That's good. Well, as we uh, today we are January the fifteenth. 
I yes. Would, I would love to see that home pop and sell in this this spring market. Yeah, and you know, with the way the market's going, I think there's a really good chance of that. It's going to be a too. fantastic home for somebody. Yep. Fantastic home. Yep, yeah, because we're kind of feeling like the market is heating up here a little bit. We've got interest rates that have dropped a little bit. We've got inventory that's super low, under yeah. two months. And I think people aren't quite prepared for that. They know we had the slowdown in fall. Yeah. And now that slowdown. We still have great jobs. We have a need for yep. housing. We have lower inventory. Macroeconomics tells us that that's the things pretty are good. probably going to be pretty good for this spring. Yeah. Don't wait too long. Don't wait too long. Yeah. Don't wait too long on your $2.695 million listing. I will, I will hopefully have somebody jump on it. Yep, that'd be great. Love to see you sell it. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming in today, Nathan. Thanks Appreciate for having all me, your, yeah. your insight. Thank you. And I uh, hope that people kind of get in a, a little bit of an insight into the appraiser's world of what goes on out there. But um, thanks so much, and we'll catch you on the next one. Sounds good, Sean. Pleasure all being right. here. Thank you Thank very much. You. All right. Thanks again. And I'm Sean Reynolds from Summit Properties Northwest and Reynolds and Klein Appraisal. We appreciate you watching uh, this podcast and listening to this podcast. Thank you. Bye.